Hey everybody, it's Tony, your host here. Just want to invite you to head on over to tonyfletcher.substack.com and subscribe, if you will, so that you can get yourself a weekly newsletter full of news about this podcast, my other podcast, a Substack-only subscribers podcast that's launching in December 2023, and you'll get additional show notes for this episode and other episodes complete with pictures, links, and even video and music if need be. That's tonyfletcher.substack.com. And now, on with the show. Hey, you! Welcome to One Step Beyond, a fortnightly show that encourages you to take a step outside your comfort zone and enrich your life. I'm Tony Fletcher. In my professional world, I write books and articles, broadcast about, and also play music. On this show, I explore my personal passions, outdoor activities, travel, and more. For episode 8, we journey to Kenya to talk with Nava Assembo, the co-founder and CEO of Ender Sportswear, Africa's first performance running shoe company and a socially conscious, environmentally friendly, community-based company at that. Then, for our local outdoor field recording, we go to the races for the first time in several months to find out, not surprisingly, that things have changed significantly due to COVID. The fun factor, however, has not and I'll offer tips for those of you looking to run your first race. So, wherever this finds you in the world, and however it finds you, step out, or kick back, and prepare to go. One step beyond! I first came across Ender Sportswear when it started showing up on my social media proving that targeted advertising does in fact work. Ender was announcing itself as a Kenyan running shoe company, which, if you know just the first thing about that country's near domination of long-distance running, would seem like something that should have been happening years ago. But beyond inviting us to, quote, run Kenyan, Ender's ads presented a philosophy of doing the right thing, from environmental footprint to community outreach. The more I learned about this nascent company, the more their story excited me, and at a time when many of us are looking within our real-world social networks to question our lack of diversity, I wanted to flip the narrative somewhat and share a truly positive, powerful and affirmative story. It took just a couple of emails to set up an interview with the company's dynamic young co-founder and CEO, Nava Assembo. We spoke in the middle of July via Zoom, Nava beaming in from the company's headquarters in Nairobi. I haven't come closer to the heart of that city than several stopovers at the airport terminal there from my two trips to neighbouring Tanzania, where they speak the same language, Swahili. I look forward to visiting properly someday, and maybe truly running Kenyan. The Zoom audio was not perfect, and I've offered a narration here and there where we had dropouts. If a different aspect of technology does its trick, I'll have a transcript available within the show notes. And as a last-minute observation, after listening back to everything that follows, One Step Beyond is not a business show. And it's not meant to be a running show either, though the outdoor lifestyle is very much a part of it, of course. So in this context, Ender is more of an example of how we can all step outside our comfort zones to enrich everyone's lives, whether it's as entrepreneurs, investors, Kickstarter supporters, athletes, creatives, or consumers. I always say that we get to vote with our wallets, 
and if we want to make the world a better place, we can do so. Enjoy the interview. Well, this is this is very, very, very exciting for a number of reasons. So why don't I let you introduce yourself and uh, tell me a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do, and we will go from there. Awesome. So my name is Navalao Sembo, um, and I am the CEO of Enda. Enda is a Swahili word that means go, and we are literally um, Kenya's and Africa's first uh, performance footwear running company. Basically, we make shoes for performance running. And uh, we've been doing that for a couple of years, but we began production in 2017, and really hoping to take for, to take uh, on the global running footwear industry and get some of that stake uh, for Kenya as well. Can you give us a little bit about your your own story and what what led you to this? Um, I think it was just a series of events. Um, one of them was I've always been interested in sports, right? So whether it's tennis or it's basketball or football, uh, though more a bit of the other two or running, I've always kind of been interested, but never really as a participant, more of a spectator. Sports is like a really great um, economic builder, I would say like that. And the good thing about sports is that you can't, you know, like it's based on your performance and uh, it's like it's meritocracy, like it's not about who you know or stuff like that. And I think that was what really, I was like, we can do something. Where in Kenya did you grow up? Uh, you know, in Kenya, you grew up in the city and also you grew up in the country. So usually you do that shuttle. During school, uh, I was in Nairobi. During the school holidays, I come from an area called Tarbo. It's just, I think, like 45. It's not too far from Eldred, but Eldred is like the main town. Like if you want anything, go there. Um, and so a lot of the areas around there, most people are runners, farmers. Uh, okay, farmers first, like running became like really uh, big over the years. Uh, but most of them, even the current runners, most of them still farm. So we are mostly a farming community. And so kind of shuttling between Nairobi and um, Tarbo, Eldoret, that's, that's where I grew up. Right. And I saw Eldoret on the videos. I made a point of watching as many of the YouTube videos as I could. And I saw <laughs> that Eldoret is your is a local is a local base for the for the company. I'm also aware that uh, when some of the Kenyan runners win marathons and some big prize money, you often hear about them buying land and uh, and building farms. And so I'm aware that that would be central yeah. to a to a Kenyan way of life. Is that the Great Rift Valley? Yes, so Elert is um, in the Great Rift Valley and uh, a couple of other towns where the athletes come from. But I'd say Elert is like the most developed of all the towns around there. Nava attended the London School of Economics for her master's degree. There she indulged her love of tennis, experiencing the excitement around the annual Wimbledon tournament and especially that around the Williams sisters. She came up with the noble idea of starting a tennis academy in Kenya hoping to provide poorer children there with access to a sport that, by her own admission, has a high entry level. For a variety of reasons, the academy did not succeed as intended, and she folded it after two years. And so retreating and looking back at what I had done and what I had failed at, the big question was, what's Kenya really good at? Okay, so tennis isn't really working out for different reasons. What's Kenya really good at? The answer was like, right there, of course it's running. 
And if you look at the whole economy of running, uh, the running industry um, between footwear and apparel, like footwear is where like most of the money is, it's where most uh, of the athletes uh, uh, aspire to go, it's where most fans are looking at. And so that made the rational sense and I was like, why are we not making Kenyan running shoes? And that was the question I had when I met my co-founder and we had a discussion about it and just, just like that, we're like, you know what, we should try making Kenyan running shoes. Right. Now, if you were yeah. studying at LSE for a master's, um, maybe I can assume you had some sort of financial know-how. Were you, were you going into e economics, finance, etc.? No, 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 no. I was doing international development, which is also part of the reason why I decided to do something positive. I think, I mean, I loved, I loved LSE. The experience was amazing, but I just got tired of listening about poverty, corruption, disease, you know, like there's so much. And I was like, okay, guys, I get that. Africa from a theoretical perspective sounds really bad, but I pretty much had a really good childhood. I wasn't sitting around saying, oh, look at poor me and look at my HDI index and stuff like that. Like, it felt as though there is theory where we talk about poverty, but then there's practical where I'm looking at how I grew up and I'm like, we didn't have much, but I had a hell of a childhood. Like, I enjoyed every minute of it. And so, Having studied development was also part of the reason I said, okay, I want to create something that is creating something positive. Like, let's just create something positive so that in as much as we talk about how to fix the current problems, we do have something also that's like, yeah, but look at this thing that can actually grow despite of the problems. Yeah. You mentioned um, having a partner. Um, my understanding is that he's American-British. Uh, so so just, for, just quickly, how did you come across him and did he have an interest in running or the, or the financial side or both? Uh, interested in running. So when I met him, I was actually going through a business accelerator where I was thinking about my process. And I was like, okay, I want to find out what went wrong and how I can be better. And so as part of this program, towards the end, you get to, to make a pitch um, to an audience of people. And so he was actually among the people who are in the audience. And so after the pitch, he was like, I, I completely resonate with what you're, you're saying. You know, at that particular point, he was um, managing director of change.org and he was just leaving his position. I think he was looking for something different. And so at, like the, that's how we met essentially. After I gave the, the page and the talk, he, we chatted afterwards. It's like, that was such an interesting proposition. He comes from a background of social campaign. Um, and so he was basically looking at it from a perspective of, I do agree with you, like Kenya needs to have a running shoe. Like it, it makes absolute sense. And uh, to give him a shout out, I've got his name is Weldon Kennedy. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what, what most interests me here is that you're not just starting a business as a business from the ground up, from the beginning. You seem to have had very, very clear intentions uh, with regard to uh, what you're trying to do for your community, your country, how you give back, your um, environmental impact. And those are incredibly important aspects because so many big companies have to be pushed in those directions and a smaller company in the current day and age has the ability to start up with good intentions and and act on them so i'd love i'd love to just give you the platform to talk about really what your goals have been here other than to obviously you know you need you need to be able to break even to continue but beyond that the kind of goals that you have for ender I think it was just, as I said, the, the meeting of minds and having agreeing in terms, an agreement in terms of what 
we wanted for ourselves, for the world, and for the company. Like having worked in different places and saying, okay, these are the good things I liked about all the places I worked. These are all the negative things I didn't like. And so how do we create a company that basically maximizes on the positives? And so one of the things we did was to commit to the social aspect of basically saying, we want to commit that this company shall be formed with the purpose of creating social impacts in Kenya. And secondly, um, we want to also make sure that it is as environmentally fr friendly as possible. Uh, I mean, there's certain limitations. It's not been easy to kind of get to the point where we want to be, but we are also saying, what kind of world do you want to live in or run it? And so you're like, why can't we create a, a company that is also valuing the world that we want to live in? And so that has also led us to um, getting our climate neutral certification, which is essentially saying we measure and we basically account for our carbon uh, footprint. And at the same time, we also got certified as a B Corp. Um, so B Corps are companies that are committed to social impact and you do actually undergo a rigorous audit. Uh, ours took seven months, it was one of the longest audits I've ever done, but it's just confirming that this business isn't just about money, it's about people, it's about community, it's about the workers. So what are we doing so that we emulate the example that we want to set out? Right. And how many, uh, how many other companies, for example, in Kenya would have both of those certifications? Um, in Kenya, I think we're the only climate neutral company, but there are a couple of B Corps in Kenya. I think uh, there must be about 40 other B Corps, but the combination of the two, uh, we are definitely the only ones. Great. Well, congratulations on that. Let's just go over a couple of examples of what you do. So, so for example, is, is it that you take um, a, a certain amount of proceeds and apply them to the community? Is that one kind of a way that you can, you can be involved socially? Yeah, so that's also something else we do. We commit 2% of our revenues to um, community development projects in Kenya. The reason why we do this is because we said from the start, we want to make social change. So we don't want it to be an afterthought where we get to, okay, how much money have we saved? Uh, can we now spare some for the community? We are basically saying we need to together, do or die. We swim, we swim together, we drown, we try, you know, but we are together. And so the whole aspect is to create a system internally where you think of community development as something that is a core um, a core element to the existence of the company right and I think if you if you look at the history of Africa look at the history of Kenya there's been a lot of extractive practices and so I feel like we've already seen what extraction can do, right? So what if we try the opposite, where we're not just looking at business as a thing where you extract for the maximization of shareholders, but basically saying it's a thing where you grow with a, with a community so that if it grows, you grow. And one of the things I always find very interesting in Kenya is how you'd have this space where rich people live and then there's like high walls with fences and like all these things. And I'm like, you're basically protecting yourself from the very community that you live with, you know. But if you're in a, in a more egalitarian society, then you don't need to do that because everybody is, is at a decent position. I think that's a big difference between sort of philanthropy, which is a very popular 
term in, in the United States, when you've made millions and billions of dollars, then you give some of it away, as opposed to having a mission statement where you are, as you say, 2%, you can hopefully factor that into your cash flow, and then it's always there. And, yeah. it, and, and it's earmarked. Um, I was also interested in, um, in how you were trying to deal with, you know, with the environmental impact and beyond just being um, climate neutral, because I, I ordered the E10 shoes from you. And, and instead of coming in a box, they came in this mm -hmm. lovely this lovely bag, which um, I, I know people can't see this on radio, but maybe I'll show <laughs> this one clip. But it's a it's an Ender bag, and uh, you can describe. I can see it's got the the colours of the Kenyan flag uh, running along along the bottom, and. Uh, I, immediately, I just thought, well, why? Yeah, I'm always throwing out shoe boxes. Why this? This is something I can use. Exactly. So that was the whole idea of switching from shoe boxes to to bags, uh, because we realized the first time we sent, like the boxes were beautiful, and some, that's one of the things to think about. Because even when you lose a box, more people look at it as a presentation thing and a way of still communicating the brand, and so. We did have that discussion of what do people value most? Do they want the unboxing experience, or do they really care about um, like the status of of uh, how the world is? And so that's why we, after our first production run, we decided to switch from boxes to shoe bags because of the very idea that it's much easier to throw out a box mentally than it is to draw to throw away something that's made of cloth. So you think, okay, maybe I can use it to store something. And that was the trigger we were trying to create uh, to do that. And so we created the bag. Um, at the bottom, it actually has a strip of kikoi. Kikoi is a fabric that is um, indigenous to Kenya, Tanzania, basically East Africa. And so we tried to pass that along. Uh, in our shoes as well, we use recycled newspaper. And um, similarly, the local factory we're working with uses renewable energy. Uh, to basically, like most of Kenya uses renewable energy, like um, hydroelectric, where most of it is basically from from water. And so the idea is that even in the packaging, in the feeling of the shoes, in the uh, how we communicate, it's all about creating a system where we reuse or reduce or recycle. Like we just use any of that element. To recap here. The decision to insert Kenyan newspaper into the shoes as a filler seems like a brainwave. A chance not only to recycle and reduce, but to give customers around the world some information about what's going on in that country. Sadly, my E-tins did not come with the newspaper. Apparently yours should. And when Nava casually announced that most of Kenya uses renewable energy, she was actually understating the case. According to a Reuters article last December, over 90% of Kenya's electricity comes from renewable sources. This is mostly a combination of geothermal, for which Kenya is Africa's pioneer, and, as mentioned, hydroelectric. Solar and wind power feature much less prominently, with issues over land ownership being one of the contributing factors. Per capita, the country uses but one hundredth as much electricity as the USA. Hearing all of that, you can maybe understand why, at the start of our interview, Nava explained her frustrations while practising international development to hear only about poverty and corruption and not the positive stories to come out of Africa. And now back to the conversation and my reaction to Nava's comments about Ender's reuse, recycle, renew policy. It makes a lot of sense. And maybe just from my perspective, I would say it's it's going to be a long, long battle for you to ever rival Adidas or Nike or any of those companies. But 
But by doing the right thing at the beginning, you have much more chance of attracting people who are looking for something like that. And I would consider myself among those. It's like, oh, Kenyan running shoe company, environmentally friendly, you know, uh, working with the community. This is this is something I want to support. And there are lots and lots of us out there. One of the things I always like to compare in there is literally with the story of the Kenyan runner. Like the Kenyan runner comes from a very humble place. The Kenyan runner comes from a place where some people actually go for a number of years without ever wearing shoes and the Kenyan runner still triumphs regardless. And so I think as a company, that's how, that's what I see as that it really, it's, yes, there are people who have it all and they have all the technology and everything, but at the end of the day, um, the beauty of sports is that it's, it could be, the winner could be anyone, you know, it could be anyone. And so I definitely see end up being kind of like uh, challenging the huge global brands very, very soon, if not uh, that we're already doing it. Let's talk about um, the shoes because it's not desperately complicated. You have, mm. uh, you know, the company has been going for, I guess, about three years or so making shoes. You have two yeah. shoes, yes. just two shoes. Yeah. So why only two shoes because that's just where we started off we started off with one shoe because that's what we could afford <laughs> and then the other the one shoe kind of sold um really well and then now we went to the second shoe while ender is planning to unveil a trail shoe in 2021 the two that it currently has on the market are the e10 and the lapatet and nava describes both in somewhat technical terms runners will enjoy this next minute the rest of you will hopefully learn something too. The E10 is a lightweight trainer, four millimeter heel to toe drop. It's uh, super light. The idea was that you basically feel like you're running without wearing anything on. So that's why it's like super light. Um, the, it's designed for the midsole to cap the heel. So when you kind of put your foot inside, your heel is somewhere in between the uh, the midsole. So the idea is that it really kind of like wraps around your feet and it's super light. Uh, when we were creating it, uh, the feedback from the athletes was like, I want to wear shoes without feeling like I'm wearing shoes. So that's our first product. The second one is called the Lapatet. Lapatet is a Kalenjin word that means running. So Kalenjin is the major tribe in Kenya where most of the runners come from. They do come from other tribes, but Kalenjin is the most predominant. And so it's a word that you hear a lot when you're hanging out with runners. They will be like uh, Labat or Labatet. And so we decided to give it that name. It's uh, for longer distances, ideal for 20 to 42 kilometers. Um, like it's the shoe that most people will run to, will run with on a marathon. It's also a daily trainer. So most people uh, will also wear it uh, on a day to day. It has a six millimeter heel to toe drop. Uh, it has a pocket, like we basically try to emphasize a midfoot stripe. So it has a very bouncy, the area just under the midfoot is very bouncy so that it kind of like accelerates that. And uh, it also, it features a neat upper. The whole idea of all the shoes we make is that it basically moves with your foot as opposed to feeling like it's something you put on. So it's also, um, it's also a snug foot fitting, yeah. Earlier, you raised something that I'd be really remiss not to ask about. And you mentioned that a lot of Kenyan runners spend many years running barefoot, don't even have shoes. And so, and there, there is a whole camp out there, as you are fully aware of barefoot runners. So why do Kenyan runners need to progress to, um, you know, intricately designed shoes in the first place if, if they're running so well barefoot? Of course, most people would start running barefoot, but as you progress, shoes are not only seen as a way to protect your feet, number one, but also 
as a way to kind of like join the big it's like who you're looking up to you know like everybody's right right now looking at um Kipchoge and the next person everybody's looking at is Ronix Kipruto and so it's just a culture thing where you want to also look as nice as the guys ahead of you and also there's just also the extra comfort and protection that shoes give you um one of the things that I really found interesting about shoes though was their thought is that running has been made to be about shoes, whereas running is a factor of so many other different things that focusing on shoes is just like saying eat carbohydrates for the rest of your life. You know, like it, you need the vitamins, you need the minerals and you do stuff like that. So I'd say it's, it's kind of like that conclusion where we are saying shoes should be able to give you uh, cushioning to be able to do the sport you love, but shoes shouldn't be the thing that guide you to say, without these shoes, I wouldn't be able to run or to, be, um, to get a personal best. Before we run out of time, a little bit about the design of the shoes, the actual visual design, um, because the shoes just look great. That's one thing, but there, there's, um, there's visual meaning to them. So what are some of the elements that you introduce into the actual, uh, the actual shoes themselves? Yeah, so one of the things for the E10, which is the lightweight trainer, and was our first shoe, uh, was the name E10. Uh, as we've said before, E10 is a, it's a, excuse me, little town nestled in Kenya's Rift Valley that basically has produced one, um, the highest number of uh, champions in distance running. So the name itself uh, basically carries a lot of um, story with it. And uh, it comes in three colors, the black, green, and red. Uh, we're going to diversify the colors in the next launch, but the initial colors were the colors of the flag. And the idea was that when you put them together, you get that symbolism and pride of Kenya. And um, at the heel of the 10 is, um, is a depression. It's kind of like mimic, like a, it look, it's shaped like a U, but it's a depression that represents the Great Rift Valley. And so it basically shows the escarpments on the floor of the valley. And the reason why we put this there was to pay ode to the great climate that the Rift Valley has provided. And that great climate has allowed um, uh, athletes to basically have a lot of endurance when it comes to distance running because of the high altitude. As you heard, I ordered a pair of the E10s. Being a minimalist runner, I preferred those to the Lapatet. They arrived quickly enough, and as you'd expect from Nava's description, they certainly looked beautiful. Unfortunately, they ran very tight around the forefoot, and I had to exchange them out. The replacement pair had not arrived by the time I produced this show, but I look forward to reporting on them down the line. Returns are completely free if you don't take them outside, and Ender does ship globally. Uh, the logo for our company is actually the tip of a spear. Um, and then at the bottom of all shoes, including the Etienne and the Lapatet, is the word Harambe. Harambe means uh, let's all pull together. It's Kenya's national motto. And I think it's also very symbolic of our brand as a company where we say, initially, everybody was like, this is crazy. You can't do it. But because we had the support of people from all over the world through our crowdfunding platform, we were able to do it. Um, and so the inspiration for the Lapatet comes from the natural features of Kenya. So if you look at the, the upper, it has the waves. The waves are essentially something we realized when we were looking at the ocean or the sky or the savanna. When you see the wind passing through it, it kind of gives you this wavy effect. Um, the Lapatet also has two, it features two fabric designs that are indigenous to, I'd say, East Africa and Kenya. So on the heel tab, you have a colorful print called the Kitenge. K 
Kitenge again is usually, it's like the colorful African fabric that's used to make um, dresses that are colorful. On the tongue of the lapatet is a fabric known as the kikoi. The kikoi is the same one we use for the for the bags, where at like the little strip at the bottom. So putting out of those two fabrics is also kind of just acknowledging that there's a little bit of culture um, going on in there. And on the heel, uh, not on the sole of the lapatet, you have a groove, and that groove literally has the topographical map of Rift Valley. We literally took a part of it and imprinted it on the on the walls. And so the shoes aren't just running shoes, we're basically using them to share Kenya's running culture and to also kind of have an opportunity to have a way to also include some of our culture into the global running industry. I do encourage you to visit Ender's online presence. The YouTube channel is particularly great, with lots of short videos, some featuring Nava, some offering a look inside the factories, some detailing the company's community work, and others profiling everyday Ender runners. And if you go to enderrunning.com, then as well as being able to see the company's mission statement, its impact, its blog, and of course, buy its shoes, you can also sign up for its weekly newsletter, which comes with stories about African runners, running in general, and even details of the Kenyan runner's diet. The day I sat down to edit this story, Ender unveiled a new video about its face masks. These are being made by, and profits will go to support, the Hashima women, a group of mothers of disabled children in Riruta, just outside Nairobi. Typically, this would be a self-supporting community, but the work of its Dignity Designs outlet has been largely curtailed by the economic downturn as a result of the coronavirus epidemic. I'm happy to say that the masks sold out on the first day. What's up, Pat? Is that Tony? Yeah, it is. Hey, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Hello, Tony. How are you doing, Chris? All right. Because I fancy recording a first day back of the race. Oh. It's Wednesday, July 8th, about 5.30 in the evening, and I'm at Williams Lake, a few miles south of Kingston, in the Hudson Valley of New York. I'm doing something that normally I might be doing on a weekly basis from spring through to the end of the calendar year, taking part in a race. Now, this is a running race, a trail running race, but I'm sure that the feelings I'm about to express apply if you're a cyclist, a swimmer, maybe a skier, Pretty much any sport where you typically train on your own, but then come together to compete against others. And my feelings go like this. Races are important for two different yet complementary sets of reasons. The first is that you want to know what you're capable of. It's good to have a challenge, and it's fun to go up against other people. The other set is that you just want to see those other people, hang with them, chat with them before and after, and sometimes during your race as well. Because the people you race with are often people you don't see otherwise, and yet they become your friends, your familiar faces under a certain set of circumstances. And not least because most races have some form of refreshment set up at the finish line. It's a social engagement, as much as it is a competitive one. Hey Steve. I'm good. We get to race again. Yeah, this is great. This is very exciting, isn't it? It's like, what the, what the hell? I'm not used to it. We're all, all, we're all a bunch of masked uh, 
Masked Rangers, but, but yeah, it's exciting to be able to do it. And that's why I've missed them so much. It helped that, over the course of the spring, once we got over the initial month of COVID lockdown, virtual races started popping up. We talked about the Ontario Mile two episodes back, how we were given a solid 10 days to log our best time for this annual local race on the honour system, and for which we were then emailed a printable certificate. And certainly, that is a something. But still, there's nothing like the real thing. How much was it again? Ten dollars. I thought it was, so that's my ten. Okay, you can fill out your form there. Have people been running already? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, people started right. Several people running. But as you can probably tell by that brief conversation at the sign-up tent, the real thing is still not quite with us. At least not where I live. Welcome to the new world of socially distanced racing. So let's talk about the se- let's talk about the series a little bit. What okay. uh, what do we have? What are we at? Race director Kevin Roach. This is the 47th year of the Kingston Summer Series, and after the races were done last year, someone who'd helped uh, mostly do the timing and such, Rich Gromick, said to me, "Kev, thanks for keeping the tradition going." So when we thought about this this year, we have to do something to make it work. Uh, we're sitting in my back patio and figured, I just thought popped in my head, why don't we just have a rolling start? We're all, you know, staggered start. Just kept talking about it a little bit more and figured, well, if we let people come right after work at 4 o'clock, start as late as 7, they'll be done by 8, so they're done before dark. Um, everybody can keep their distance from everybody else. We ask people to put their masks up if they're passing someone or being passed. But otherwise, we've had no issues at all with people being comfortable. Everyone who's done it has been so thrilled and say, well, you know, thanks for letting us actually run. You know, everybody's doing these virtual races, which is wonderful if that's the only thing that you can do. Um, some people have made a course and you can go do the course like my daughter did the Boilermaker course this past Sunday morning. Um, but we figured what's at least we could have it same day same course everybody did the same thing so it's closer to a race uh, we let everyone self-time we have everybody uh, fill out a little report when they're done the kingston cross-country classic is usually a one i mean there's lots of reasons to love it one it's usually five different weeks on wednesday evenings great time middle of the week usually four or five different locations i think it usually does twin lakes twice twin lakes twice yeah. And sometimes here twice. Usually is it 15 or like... Uh, you know, I forget. It's, Even it's, 15, 20 maybe It's for so the inexpensive. Whole. We get five races and Keegan supply a keg at the end of each one or yep. two kegs. We buy it. We buy uh, Keegan Ales and uh, yeah. he's always really generous with us. Uh, yeah. We usually supply watermelon. We usually have kids races. We decided we do, just yeah. to not have that this year. Just to, I mean, you can look around and see everybody's kind of keeping... I mean, a lot of people are with people that they normally are hanging out with, so they feel comfortable being closer to others. We pause so that Kevin can talk to someone driving out of the race area. He noted that they didn't register and asks them to. They say they prefer not to use the pens that have been provided, so they were happy just to run a marked course. They seem nervous about the congregation of people. Others appear far more confident with their own good health as they enjoy a pre- or post-race chat in the company of their running friends. 
So we lost, you know, we lost the kids' races, which always have been a fun thing, just yes, having, uh, you know, the kids just do like a half mile or, or, or a mile. But again, I guess we're, you know, we're also just very, very grateful to have what we can. We're what, really fortunate that this worked out so well. Every, all the pieces fell into place and we're able to do it, so we're really happy. Are you aware of anything else similar around here that's um, like, like even within, gosh, within a couple of counties that's been able to come back in this kind of format? I haven't heard of anyone else doing any, doing this. And we've got a lovely souvenir that you and I are both sporting right yes, now. Yes, it's really worked out well. I just, it's like, well, what can we do? Well, can we do a mask? So we, I searched around and got a really reasonable price. And the same folks who print our shirts for the Shamrock Run um, really inexpensively screen printed it for us. So um, it also gets to highlight the fact that the all of the uh, entry fee pro- proceeds are going to Project Resilience. So uh, I talked to the county executive about that, uh, and he was thrilled to, you know, and gave us the logo to put on there, so that worked out well. Project Resilience is, if I'm right, it's um, where local restaurants that were otherwise shut have been able to be employed to make right. meals for the food banks. Right, and now they're actually actually doing uh, that. I think that switched from making meals because restaurants are now open to be more of a grocery delivery service. So because it's still going, we're hoping to be able to give them a $1,000 check by the time we're done. Oh, that's wonderful, too. Yep. You, you, know, you mentioned it as being a mask, but actually, and then you, you later corrected, these are lovely green, Irish green Banana. uh, ban- yep. bandanas. Right. So, so um, yeah, there are many different forms of masks, but a bandana is always useful in dusty scenarios. Right. And yeah, yeah. yeah. This has worked out well because you can just pull it right up. You can keep it down and pull it up as you need to as you're passing runners. So uh, we're really happy. And so to the topic of racing. Now, if you're relatively new to running, and especially to trails, you will likely be better off making a weekend road 5k your first race. It's a comfortable distance and typically attracts all types. And even if you're worried you might look slow, nobody else does. And people tend to walk the course anyway, so it's very unlikely you'll be bringing up the rear. It's my hope that these weekend 5Ks, likely with limited entry and other social distancing procedures such as at this cross-country series, will be resurfacing in many areas over the summer. Still, the tips I'm about to offer apply to almost all forms of racing, even as you'll hear me traversing what's a pretty difficult trail course. A caveat, I'm not a running coach, like my previous guests, Steve Schallenkamp and Dick Vincent. But typically, I can expect to finish in the top 15% at most races, which, factoring in my age, I'm 56, really isn't bad. Even at the big road marathons like Boston and ultras like the Escarpment Run, I'm usually in the top 30 to 40% of runners. Perhaps best of all, I've improved by trial and error, i.e. by making mistakes, and I'm happy to share those lessons learned. I'm, I'm figuring I'm getting out maybe just to warm up and just do it. We've got three weeks here. Want to warm up together a little bit? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to keep my mask and my wife. The warm-up is the most undervalued part of race day. I used to skip it, showing up shortly before the gun went off and wondering why it hurt to run hard and why my legs hurt even more the next day. A 15 to 20 minute warm-up gets your legs moving, your blood flowing, acclimatizes you to the course and sets you up nicely to pick up the pace once you start the actual race. I'm just out here because I want to, you know, it's a series, you got to come out. Yeah. But it's a good cause and it's good to see people. The first week of the cross-country series, I warmed up with Steve Schindler, who previously taught me the trick of preparing for a hard 5k race 
by warming up on the entire 5k course. We ran together for our, quote, race as well, taking it pretty easy until the last mile, when I gave her the push at the end. The kick felt good. Returning for the second week, July 15th, I set out on my own, using my phone for my self-timer because I forgot my wristwatch. Activity started. So we're starting here down by the car park, down by Williams Lake. It's a little bit of an incline on the gravel just up to the rail trail. And from the rail trail, we get a little bit of a level all these races anyways really got a pace yourself if it's odd starting a so-called race on my own i don't run unaccompanied for long hey doing it twice oh good for you are you tony yeah oh, okay. yeah Your podcast thank you oh great oh i'm glad but i'm actually doing a little piece on this about us getting back out and racing okay ah yes yeah, I, I did it once tonight but i figured what the heck i need to, to work Good place. What's your name? Jeff. Jeff, alright. Yeah. So what was it, four miles? Yeah, I think it was like 4.2, but I actually took a wrong turn. And only went 3.66, so... Okay. But... So, so you're sending yourself back out to atone for your... <laughs> yeah. But I don't put my time down, so... I still work hard at it. It's nice about that rate, this race. You don't have to... Uh, you can kind of do what you want to do, really. Yeah, you got the race atmosphere, but you, uh, you can keep the time to yourself. I was saying to Kevin there when I was doing a little piece with him that, you know, people have just missed the camaraderie of the racing. Exactly, just showing up, getting motivated to run again really hard. I love it. Everyone's friendly and nice. Yeah. You know, it's like... A welcoming area. Yeah. Jeff, who I don't believe I'd ever met before, and I really didn't know I had fans of the podcast out there, really hit on some key elements of racing. That it pushes you to go harder. You have the social aspect. But if you don't want to, you don't have to even put down your time. In short, it's as competitive as you want it to be. You were pretty fast last week. I saw you on the uh, list. <laughs> you know, it wasn't bad. I think yeah. I, my general... My general measurement these days is, is there anybody older than me ahead of me? This is where I must have taken a wrong turn. Yeah, it looks like... He's gone straight ahead. Yo! Yeah. <laughs> this way, Tom. <laughs> For first-time racers, I can absolutely assure you, road runs don't have this kind of problem. Besides which, unless you're in the lead, you can usually follow the person in front of you on the road. But on a trail... Following the markers, or not, is all part of the fun. Part of what we sign up for. So I just completed my first mile at 8 minute 40. Which is a little worrying. In the sense that that was my overall pace last week. On a shorter course. Where I ran very hard at the end. So, potentially I've come out a little bit fast today. I'm one of those runners who really does prefer to go out steady so as to finish fast. To me, there's no better feeling in a race than ending it strong, and nothing much worse than feeling like you can't actually make it to the end. Still, sometimes you do go out faster than you meant to, and you just have to adapt accordingly. 
either pulling back so you have something left at the end to give or trying to hold on to your pace despite it all. The latter choice can result in a fast time that you didn't know you were capable of. It can also exhaust you. Now on some proper real trail here, roots, rocks. Quite narrow. It's kind of just running along the side of a hill. Very narrow. Stuff that a lot of us really enjoy. Kind of no two steps are the same. Alright, finally, we get to come down a little bit. That was. Alright, I'm on the same pace as I was last week. Long time since I've done anything like this with the sound of someone at my heels. It's quite a nice sound. It's keeping me moving, that's for sure. Generally speaking, the best advice I can give about racing is to run your own race. Set your own goal and don't let someone else distract you from it, even if your goal is to beat a specific someone. Run the way you know you can run and hope that it will bring you to the finish line ahead of your competitor regardless. It's a matter of mental chess and it doesn't always work out the way you want it to. It can't do, not for the both of you. But that too is part of the fun. A hard run against and alongside someone almost always ends in congratulations and handshakes. Or perhaps these days, an elbow bump if you're lucky. I'm in the slipstream. Someone way younger than me. How old are you? 14, good running. Feeling good? That's what we want to hear. Another great thing about community races, they attract people of all ages. Now we're coming, now we're coming down to the cave, I think. Kind of really have to adjust your eyes. This is, by the way, the only local race I know of that runs through a cave. Or to be more precise, a mine. Adjusting the eyes for the dark and trying not to fall on the slippery and uneven surface is just another, yes, fun factor. Yep. Yeah. And that was a mine, we got to climb out of it. Woo. Running on pace doesn't always work out. Sometimes you slow down when you don't want to, and sometimes you speed up when you don't plan to. So am I. Three mile average is right down to about 8.33. Which means I did that third lap again faster than I wanted to. I do feel I'm paying for it. I do not have a whole lot left to kick at the end. This part here has the habit of killing people at the end of this race. When I reach a familiar short steep hill, maybe about half a mile from the end of the race, my instincts say to walk it. But I also know that if I do, it'll be hard to run again. I power hike it as fast as I can, knowing it's the last climb of the race. Now we're finally back on the rail trail. I believe we've got to double back somewhere before we can get back to the car park. Thinking now about how racing 
is inherently different for the time being in this socially distanced environment. It occurs to me that there are ways it is still very much the same. There's nothing to stop any of us competing against our regular race buddies, setting off together and just making it a one-on-one, -on -one, or in a small group if you all feel comfortable with each other. And it occurs to me too that the ultra runs I compete in and the major marathons like New York and Boston all have a staggered start of multiple waves. So that unless you actually ask someone, you don't know whether the person who's overtaking you, or preferably who you're overtaking, set off ahead of you, same time as you, or behind you. Which brings it back to running your own race. Certainly on those longer distances, whether it's the discipline of the steady mile on a road race, or going by individual landmarks on an ultra trail run, you're actually engaged in a long distance time trial. Other than the fact that someone is logging your finish time, it's really not that different than the setup we have here. Got about 200 meters to go. 40 is a bit of a downhill. Down the last crest. And finish. There is one difference with the self-timing though. My phone is too sweaty to unlock and log my time. In fact, most people who get into the finish line look like they're emerging from a sauna. It's pretty humid out there on a midsummer's evening around these parts. It takes me at least a minute to unlock the phone and ultimately I have to guesstimate my final time. It doesn't matter much. There's no medals, no real bragging rights. Just a good feeling for going hard, gratitude that someone marked out a course and relief at not getting lost and making the finish line in one piece. Good, yeah, that was a great course. That was proper cross country. Good. I felt more windy than, than usual. I mean, it did. It felt like, like every felt, which way. When it was I was cool. walking it, it felt like this is just so cool. Yeah, actually, I mean, when I phone drives a bit, I'll try and look at the map on there because it'll be yeah. like. Uh, It'll be like a kid who got high for the first time who's trying to, trying to do a math a problem. It's a fun course on the activity app. Here's what it looks like. Yeah, that's what it felt like. It's actually like like fly shape. It really is something. Plus, of course, I got to see my friends again and maybe even made some new ones. It's a permanent cliche, but as ever, it's about the journey. This episode of One Step Beyond was written, produced and narrated by Tony Fletcher. Incidental music in this episode was revealed in this nature by Noel Fletcher. The theme song One Step Beyond is by Madness, used with their permission, and the logo is by Mark Lerner. You can reach out to us at onestepbeyond at ijamming.net I-J-A-M-M-I-N-G.net you can also find us on all social media. Just search One Step Beyond Podcast. And our website is buried over at acast.com. All these links will be supplied in the show notes. And if you are listening online, please know that you can subscribe and download on just about every podcast platform known to man. It's always great if you want to leave a positive review. 
and it's especially great if you want to reach out. Whatever you're doing in the world, peace. <laughs>